John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 778.jb3122, certificate number 28586, Mesoamerican Ballgame. Here in the distant past, it is uh, winter, which we still have in our time. That's right. Uh, and we just passed through one of the odder of our local rituals here. Have you ever tried to talk to this about any uh, talk about this to anyone else in the country that our kids, our public school kids, get a full week off for President's Day? Yeah, in Seattle? winter break. They call it mid midwinter break. Midwinter break. Winter break. We still have around Christmas, but yes. then we get another week off here in the at, at like the the shoulder of the year. Because let's be honest, winter break often takes place. It begins in the late autumn. It sometimes begins before the solstice. You should have a Thanksgiving break that's a week, a Christmas and New Year's break that's two weeks long, a midwinter break, a spring break, and school should get out on June 1st and uh, never start before Labor I mean, break. I thought that when I was a kid. Now that I'm a parent, <laughs> my interests are a little different on the matter. You think kids should get one week off in the summer? It's hilarious that it's called President's Day break or whatever. Like That's just how patriotic we are here. We get... You get nine days off for President's Day. That's five days per president. Right. Saturday, Wait a minute. Saturdays for Washington not five, Madison. Not five days per American president. Yes. Five days per American president and two days for Grover Cleveland. <laughs> you get Saturday off for Washington through Madison. You get Sunday off through Monroe for Monroe through... I'm counting on no, my No, you're fingers. saying five presidents per day, not five oh, days per president. You're right. You're yeah. right. That would be a 225-day break. <laughs> Yes, we get most of the year off. For for this week, we're going to think about Millard Fillmore. <laughs> we, I celebrate his entire catalog. I assume the reasoning is, I mean, there are places where I think there's essentially a ski break, right? If you live in a ski-happy part of the country or right. world. Which we do. We live in a ski-happy part of the country. But that's not what people do. Nobody takes a full week off in February and goes to the pass and skis, right? I think what it is is... Um, <clears throat> We really want a week off for Valentine's Day, but no, but everyone's embarrassed 
to admit it. No, Valentine's Day is only fun at school. You got to decorate <laughs> um, the little box with the slot in the top. Maybe fun for you. It's my earliest sexual memory is cutting a slot in a box for girls to slide their Valentines into. It was always totally traumatic for me because I always had one Valentine that I meant for an especial girl, and it was the one Valentine I never delivered. You know those <gasps> those situations where it's um, I was such a Charlie Brown, but you know you're you're meant to give a Valentine to every single kid in the class, sure, because they didn't want you to play favoritism. Mm-hmm. My version of favoritism was I never gave the Valentine to the special girl. Wait, so so you did not buy twenty nine Dukes of Hazard Valentines and then handcraft a special one with with lace and red construction paper for your special girl. I did, in fact. Oh, you and did. then I never gave it to her. And you gave away all the Dukes of Hazard ones. <laughs> That's right. And you kept the one special one. So if she if she if she was going through her bag of Valentines thinking, where's the one from John Roderick? I where's really, John R. I have a I have a huge <laughs> crush on John R. Where's his Valentine? <laughs> and there was none. It was because I had made one I'd spent like a week and a half making one. And then you know, and all those Valentines collected at the bottom of my locker. If I, if I had a locker, if, had, if yeah, I had one locker the throughout of your all cubby. school. Right. <laughs> Where are they now? Do you still have all your oh, yeah, kind of serial killer? Like <laughs> <laughs> I bought a girl a box of chocolates once and it sat in my locker. I didn't give it to her on Valentine's Day, obviously. Right? I was in well, fifth why grade. You? Why would I? If I had given her a box of chocolates. You would have been the talk of the school. I really would have. And so this box of Valentine's candy you know, Brock's chocolate or whatever, sat in my locker until May, at which point my dad had stopped by the school to, you know, help me. I don't know. He was like looking for some sociology book that I that was missing and uh, opened my locker and was like, what's this box of chocolates in here? And took it and ate it. <laughs> my Valentine's for Lori Basler got eaten by David Roderick. This, this is a pattern in your life that, can, that persists today. Oh, such a sad sack. It's time to deliver the Valentines, A little redheaded girl. Uh, I believe in Seattle, the reasoning is just that the weather has been so bleak for at least two months by the time you get to mid-February that the school district knows that people are just going to bail and go to Disneyland or Bend, Oregon. <clears throat> well, but here's the problem, right? You and I think of that time as a wonderful time to go to a sunny climate, but most Seattleites cannot leave for a week and go to, uh, like, the Azores. And so they just spend a week without their kids being in school in the cold, dark rain. They're still at work. It sucks. They're still sad at Amazon, and they're having to send their kids to that doggy daycare place. Yeah, that's right. Their kids have to go to the YMCA day camp. <laughs> uh, I know plenty of people who arrange to take a week off in February. Yeah. Like, they really prioritize it. Right, but all of the people that you know are upper-middle-class computer programmers. Yes, but that is also 90% of Seattle at this <laughs> point. <true> too. <laughs> so you, but, don't, you don't have to worry about privilege in Seattle. <laughs> we all have the same awful equal privilege. But, uh, but you and I both went on vacation for President's Day weekend this year. You were in, uh, did you have a, a full week in Maui, on Maui? More, 10 days, 10, 11 days. And how about, did... Uh, this is such a sympathetic program. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in to Ken and John describing that they can take 10 days in, in Maui. And you're going to show us your vacation slides? I will. Yeah, I go every year because my uncle, uh, my uncle Jack, my, my aunt Julia Lee... And her husband, Calvert. See Calvert Knutson. Wait. Julia Lee. Julia Lee. Is Julia Lee a middle name? Do you say Aunt Julia Lee? We do. Julia Lee. Are you a Southern boy? We were. 
the, the that side of the family was from Scout, the you stay away from Aunt Julia Lee's house. <laughs> Julia yes, Calpurnia. Her daughter was named Paige after our ancestor, uh, colonial governor of Virginia, John Page. But her first name is Paige. With an I? Nope. Mm. P-A-G-E. Uh, do not contact my cousin Paige. Please. <laughs> at her request. <laughs> this has gone badly before. Futurelings, like. <laughs> do not look for my cousin Paige. But Julia Lee and C. Calvert uh, went in with four friends. Their last name started with a K. And their four friends, or I'm sorry, three of their friend, um, this is the late 60s, right? So they're, you, you, they're you, all wife swapping. Yeah, you would have a couple, your couple would have four couple friends <clears throat> and they all and had all last names. Affairs. This is a John they Updike were. novel. All right. They all, uh, their last names all started with K and they, uh, they went in and bought an acre in, um, it, uh, across the street from the beach in Kihei. Yeah. And they built four identical houses on this acre. Compound with a K. That's right. Around a tennis court in 1970 and this was, and there was, there were no other houses around it. It was just surrounded by kind of dunes, and this was where they would go. They would fly there, you know. They would fly over on a seven two seven or whatever, and spend weeks in Hawaii. You skipped the most remarkable thing, which is that their names all started with the same letter, and and it kind of implies they did this on purpose. It was the Kitchells, the Ketchums, the Knutsons, and the and the uh, what was the fourth one? Oh, I forget what the fourth one was, but. And they were all, you know, they were all, yeah, ka'ahalo. Uh, they, were, they were all family friends for our whole lives. And so when I was a kid, we would vacation at this little, this sort of mid-century compound. And it remains in the families of, of the Kitchells and the Ketchums and the, and the Cobalts. And so my Uncle Jack, who lives in Alaska, uh, is now 94 and cannot be in Alaska January through March because it's just too hard for, to be 90. You know, he he 90 would 40. die. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it, you step out of the house and it's just like instant treachery. So he spends that three months every year in Maui. He and, never leaves the little inset part of the map in the, in the corner of the U.S. <laughs> map. Right. He just Why flies would he? between Alaska and Hawaii. Why would he? They're right next to each other. Uh, but but uh, I'm on a short list of, of cousins that need to go spend a week or two with Uncle Jack uh, because he needs a little bit of uh, help, right? Just he needs somebody there to to sure. to make macaroni and cheese for him and and to butter his bread. And this is no longer surrounded by dunes. I have stayed in a condo. It turned out to just be a few blocks away from there. It is south of Kihei, and it's surrounded by twelve million dollar mansions, twenty <laughs> right. million dollar mansions, and it's still this very you know. It's I mean it's not humble, but it's but it's it's like surprisingly humble. Given that there's a little bungalow across the street that is on sale right now for twelve million dollars, and it's a and it is a ter- total teardown. It's like a one bedroom shack. It's just the 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 property. Anyway, woe is me, right? But pretty. I'm so nice. sorry you had to go make mac and cheese in Maui. I know. Is it? Uh, did you put spam in the mac and cheese? No, he he doesn't want to get. He's not trying to have some kind of like legit Hawaiian experience. Cultural experience. No, he just is there because it's warm, and, and he's working on his autobiography. And you're working on your aloha. I last year I had a wonderful experience finding aloha while I was there. This year I struggled to find aloha, and I I realized that when other people are involved, it's harder to to find aloha. Aloha is not other people. Oh, interesting. 
No, Ohana is other people. Ohana is other people. Aloha is solo. So is it you need w- to is find, within yourself. You need to find Alohana, a balance. Hmm. You also were on vacation at this time. We were we were vacationing in different parts of the world. Yes, we also need some sun. I mean, you need vitamin D if nothing else. Yeah, you will die. It's really brutal here. It, wh- wh- how many consecutive days of rain was it before it, it, it finally broke? It was a record this year, right? Yeah. It wasn't it over thirty? Over forty. Oh my gosh! Over forty straight days without interruption. Forty days and forty nights of rain. Hmm? Uh, sadly, not everyone died, like in the Bible. That's it what I was. Too, that's what I was hoping for. It's too bad. I wanted the, a fresh start for the city. The seas rose up, but only to knee high. <laughs> the seas rose up, but only where there was like decaying leaves in the gutters. Um, we went to Belize. Oh, I don't believe it. Oh, they they love that. I the got air, there before you. The airport is full of Belize T-shirts. Um, Unbelievable. With Belize puns. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. They, re- they really embraced it because it is the only Central American country where you can make those puns because it's the only Central American country where English is the official language. And is the dollar the official dollar? Kind of. There are Belizean dollars, which sounds like a, a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. Hey, I just made a Belizean dollars. <laughs> but no, it's the currency, but it's pegged to the U.S. Right. But confusingly, not one to one. Really? We're going to peg it to the U.S., but uh, two to one. So, really? So two Belizean dollars is one American dollar? No matter what happens to the American dollar, you're always going to get two Belizean dollars. Yes. And confusingly, uh, both are in circulation all the time because Belize, since becoming independent in 1981, the former British Honduras, it has really embraced ecotourism. Uh-huh. There's, there's a beautiful coral reef and there's rainforest. And so they've really embraced tourism. It was... Uh, we spent a few days in San Pedro, which I think is Madonna's La Isla Bonita. Uh, sure. And well, is it an island? It's, it's a beautiful yeah, island? It's, it's a key. It's no longer quite as Bonita. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's full that of, happens to everything. It's full of large Midwestern men in Madonna's in, not in, as in Bonita. Uh, but who, <laughs> who, among, who among us is? But everyone there, like Madonna, speaks in kind of a strange quasi-British accent. So. Right. <laughs> and uh, why was I saying this? Oh, uh, so prices are listed. People, So it's full of tourists spending U.S. dollars and Belizean dollars interchangeably and prices are always just listed in dollars so you have to ask like hey this uh belizean dollars the the manicotti (laughs) is 14 dollars. is that like seven dollars or 28 (laughs) dollars um but we had a great time uh we it's a beautiful country you ever been to central america no sadly Uh, i mean i've been to the yucatan it's close uh but i have not gone across the across the um the blood brain border. What is it? The Darien Gap. Uh, well, no, I haven't oh, been no, across right. that. But that, would no, be, that would be further south. I haven't even been across the Mexican. In your border. mind, the blood brain border is like Chiapas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's uh, some commandant Marcos of, is guarding it. Is it keeping the germs out of Guatemala or out of Mexico? <laughs> Belize uh, is the, the, essentially the northernmost country, and it borders both Guatemala and Mexico. And uh, we had been to Costa Rica once. The kids wanted to see sloths. Right. And the kids loved it and wanted to go back. And I'm kind of a, hey, it's a big world kind of guy. Why don't we go somewhere else? Let's go somewhere different. Yeah. And so the compromise was Belize, which seemed Costa Rica-y, but different. Yeah. You, got your, you got your new country, and also they got a safe Central American vacation. And I got a second country, because we'd rented a car and drove across the border into Guatemala, Nice. High five. Your passport's filling up. We wanted to... Actually, was <laughs> My passport did actually fill up. It turns out driving across the border between two Central American nations really is 
something you have to allot an hour for. Are they are they pretty stamp happy at the at the kiosk? <laughs> They're stamp happy, but also um, they want you to do a dotted line like one of the family circus kids. You know, they want to give you a stamp, send you into a different line to show the stamp. And at that point, that guy will be like, uh, where is your photocopy? Donde esta la fotocopia? Yeah, you know? Right. And I was like, well, he didn't give me one. He's like, well, no, you have to go out to the, the, the store right. across the way. So you go out to some little bodega and some guy gives you a thing. And then he tells you there's a price for his photocopy, but you think it's kind of a con. Sure. But what are you going to do? Sure. The guy at the second kiosk's brother runs the photocopy place. And some little tout, the guy who changed some of our Belizean dollars to Guatemalan Quetzales, yeah. named for the beautiful green bird. Isn't that great? That is beautiful. Don't you wish our currency was named for the beautiful the Quetzales? For a beautiful American bird? Yeah, but it would be we'd be spending the American eagles. No, it'd be like the whooping crane or something. Oh, the uh, how the many wild California turkeys. condors will you give me for a wild turkey? Uh, so you have to do this whole song and dance with two different currencies, four different gentlemen of two different nationalities, two different car de- disinfecting things. Which looks b- bogus. I'm sure it's just a car wash. Yeah. Um, I tried to go from uh, Morocco to Algeria once in the late 80s. And the number of different offices and photographs and stamped documents and things stapled into my passport <laughs> that I had to go through. I had to go to Rabat just to get somebody to stamp and write on a piece of paper and then you know take it back to whatever Warzazat or wherever I was. Uh, it was insane. And then... Eventually, I got to the border, and the border guards, the border guards there, and the Algerians were like, "You can't come into Algeria. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous." Did you never get in? I never. Well, I mean, I crossed over the line to talk to the guy in the in the to kiosk get, to get yelled at by. And well, you know what it was was like the week before seven French tourists had been uh, oh, tied to a pole and burned alive. This wasn't just normal red tape, or as they say in the Muslim world, green tape. It was not green tape. <laughs> It was, uh, it was like, you're not safe here. Uh, it was a bummer. I was all excited. I'm sorry. It's all right. We, uh, Mindy and I once took a bus from Thailand to Cambodia just to go to Angkor for a couple of days. And it really was the kind of thing where we had to have detailed instructions on the internet of here are all the people who are going to ch- cheat you. And here's what you have to keep saying to them as they drive you around on their little motorcycle tuk-tuk things. You just have to keep saying, no, uh, I know this is not the border. This is just your uncle's con job office. Please take us to the actual border. And when we did that five times, we eventually did get to the border. But these people are not incentivized to make the process easy for affluent Westerners to get across. No, I mean, it's a chance for them to extract as many quetzales as they can. Sure, you're standing there. Like, why not soak you? They know know you need them. Right. For, the, for the only time. Like, imagine how that must be just for decades to know you need these awful white people. And well, finally, just once, they need you. They don't expect you to be fluent in Spanish either. I'm, if I were surveying a group of 20 people, any 20 people, really any, even if we were in Norway and surveying just 20 people on the street, you would be the last one I would expect to speak Spanish. Uh Maybe I, I made the mistake of talking to them in Spanish because then we did the rest of the thing in Spanish. But maybe you think I should have kept it under my hat? Yeah, if you if you'd just been like, "Oh, uh, yo, uh, yo, la tango" or whatever, and they had been like, "Oh, we got a live one here," and then you could overhear their their sidebar conversation, where they're like, "Look at this, look at this gringo dad," and then you're like, "Ha ha, I understood you the whole time." I have to think that's 80% of the advantage of learning a, a second language. It's just so you can zing people who are making fun of your khakis? Yeah, you could like go uh, gaslight them for 
for 20 minutes while they're they're working an angle on you. It is an, uh, it's a genre of internet story I really enjoy, you know, when someone's listening to some Although maybe I don't shouldn't like the genre because it's usually it's usually an unusually well-traveled American who finally gets to right stick the knife in a local. Right. Uh, Zing as he gets off the bus he's, he says in Chinese, <laughs> I heard what you were saying about my hat, you awful woman. The reason we were going to Guatemala was not to get out of Belize, which was lovely, but because we wanted to visit Tikal, the hmm. largest archaeological excavation in North America. Really? Yeah, it's a it's a huge Mayan city. The Mayans built enormous cities. Bigger um, than Chichen Itza. Chichen Itza may have been a... Hmm, like, at the time, did Chichen Itza have more people? I don't know. Like, I know that... Uh, Tikal is a bigger complex. Even if you don't know it, you have seen Tikal. Do you know where you have seen Tikal? Mm, no. It's the base from which the Rebel Alliance destroys the Death Star oh, at the end of the first Star Wars I have. Movie. In fact, I've memorized every inch of it in my <laughs> 700 consecutive watchings of... Because I know how much you love a good a good Star War. Yeah, I do. I love a Star War. I love a, I love a Star Trek. Uh, and I would, you know, I'd pause my VHS, my bootleg VHS tape and just examine all those... All those um, Mesoamerican you, pyramids. Couldn't you have a real VHS of Star Wars? Oh, I'm not, sure they did sell them. Not when I not when I was watching it. Not in 1980. You know, I do remember when you could only get Star Wars on bootleg VHS, and yeah. we had we had Jedi on bootleg VHS. You did, yeah. What that someone had a camera in their lap while they watched it on on. I mean, we were in Asia, so who knows where this came from? But yeah, it right. may have been an early example of the Times Square, just shot in the theater kind of genre. I've been to Chichen Itza, and it's astonishing. But it, but the jungle's all been cleared away. You know, it's um, there there are so many of these uh, uh, Aztec sites where they're still undiscovered. Right? They're still like covered with vines and forest, and people aren't even aware they're there. So that's the thing about Tikal is uh, it's still surrounded by rainforest. You know, some of the temples have been half excavated, and some have not. But you'll be walking through the through the jungle. And you'll see a uh, suspiciously pyramidal mountain, and you'll realize, oh yeah, this is this is on our map. This is Temple Complex P. There's a massive stone and mortar building under there that has not been excavated. Can you wander then into the jungle and come to the base of this uh, this like encrusted? Statue absolutely, place? and it's got trees growing out of wow, it. Um, how cool! And some of the stuff has been cleared or halfway. You can climb up several of. Them. I mean, if you remember your Star Wars, you know there are these massive stone pyramids rising from the trees, right? And where they're putting the X wings and the Millennium Falcons. <laughs> is there whatever. a guy in a tower that is wearing a weird <laughs> helmet? That... You do know it. You were pretending, but you know all about Yavin. <laughs> No, I think, but they did send a second unit down and did put a guy up on a weird scaffolding just to get that shot huh. um, because it was, it's all a big Guatemala national park now. And the, the buildings are just enormous. The temples are like the tallest one is, you know, 250 feet wow. tall. It's, you know, it's still one of the, I'm sure it's still one of the tallest buildings in Guatemala. <laughs> um, and you get to the top and it's, you know, you, it, it looks like Star Wars. You just get, you see the peaks of these things rising out of the, of the jungle like islands. Um, but these cities, the Mayans built these huge cities just in the middle of nowhere, and we don't know why, presumably for ritual purposes, because a lot of them were built where there was no water. They weren't in the middle of nowhere then, though, because they were probably on, uh, that was, it was probably like, well, super good paintball. 
uh, terrain. <laughs> Is that what it was? Yeah. Well, there was no water. No, often, you know, they had amazing reservoir technologies because they would build these ginormous cities, not in, where you or I would. I mean, you or I wouldn't know what we were doing. Right. But our, where you would know, you build your city? Your ancestor, Page, William Page Roderick or whatever, he <laughs> would know, oh, we need fresh water. Sure. You got to build a city on a, on a stream at least. And the mines must have had, you know, aliens telling them where the magnetic lee lines were converging or something. Didn't they have cenotes that were full of water that maybe we just haven't found? Maybe that's true. Holes in the ground that were full of I mean, delicious Bel- Belize water. is all limestone. Like you, we went, we went through a cave in a canoe because right. that's the kind of thing you can do. Right. Um, but, uh, the population was, there were like a million to 2 million Mayans living in Belize, uh, a country the size of Vermont. Where today there are only 300,000. There aren't 2 million people living in Vermont. <laughs> no, I, Belize is half as populous as Vermont, already a, one of our sparser states. Really? Um, and, it, you know, it was the capital of the Western Hemisphere um, over, you know, over a thousand years ago. But, uh, but for mysterious reasons, possibly they were thirsty, the Mayans declined. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, and, they, and they declined... Uh, pre-contact. It's not a. It's not. The well, that was interesting. Western disease. They they were already on the. I asked a guide. I, I you know we were on a tour and I asked a guide. So uh, so what uh, you know who replaced the Mayans? And he looked at me like I was crazy and a little bit insulting. And he said the Spaniards. Hmm. And I said, well, the the Mayan civilization had collapsed, right? And he was like, well. It was in decline, but everyone here was still Mayan. He's like, I'm Mayan. 60% of Guatemala is still Mayan. So as an ethnicity, it was still around. It was just not a political power. But yes, the Aztecs arose after. And by the time, you know, the, what had once been a vast empire was just rural villages Right. by the time that Colombian contact was made. Uh, I have a friend who is from Mexico, and her mother is, is Mexican, her father is uh, like English, and she did a DNA test and discovered that she was half uh, Aztec, pure sort of uh, – that that her mother through all of – her mother's family through all of the years of sort of Spanish incursion and, and uh, all the assimilation that happened uh, had retained like complete uh, indigenous – uh, DNA, uh, DNA. There, they, they, there was no Spanish DNA in her, and that you, you uh, can understand why, right? Like, well, yeah, screw those guys. But that was astonishing to me, I guess, sure. in the in four hundred years that they had re, that they had remained, um, you know, because her family they, they weren't like living in the mountains or something, but they had just managed to keep keep she the could, Spanish out. <laughs> if you know what I mean. She could be the rightful heir to the Aztec Empire. I feel like I'm the rightful heir to the Aztec Empire. I don't I think you're going to have to sell me on this. Like mm. just just looking at you? Yeah. I'm not, I don't speak Imagine Spanish you with the big gold headdress I holding I, the knife. I do every day. I can't <laughs> I, I just don't see it. I, I I mean that's part of my uh part of the problem with me, right? I you, imagine I'm the heir to every empire. Yes, but you are the you are on the altar in that scene. You're Professor no, Calculus they or can't whatever. Get me up there. <laughs> I guess we've already said you're Captain Haddock and Hodgman is Professor Calculus. I, I feel like I feel like to get up to the top of to to be to be a human sacrifice. At some point, you have to submit to it, right? You can't – no one could cut your heart out while you were living if you didn't want them to, 
Oh, I think that I think they could. I don't know. I Wouldn't think it you'd take have like to... four burly Aztec guys at most? No, you could because you can always. I don't know. What, I feel what like, are you going to do? Predict an eclipse? I feel like at a certain point you have to. Yeah, you're bought into the same universe, right? So you're like, yeah, take my heart. Yeah, I get it. It'll, no, I get it. It's like you know, yeah, we're we're Catholics. We're going to put the ash on our forehead. That's right. It's, like, and go to McDonald's. It's a little weird. Take but, the heart and you know stave off the rains or whatever. I don't you know. I submit. <laughs> So you think there's a kind of weak Aztec that uh, that just raises his hand? Maybe the a strongest, pe- a people pleaser. Maybe oh, the strongest oh, Aztecs are the ones that give that give their hearts. Ken, as you know, and as uh, presentlings know, we are in the early stages of a global pandemic. Uh, I I had heard yes a little something about that because we record our episodes somewhat in advance. Um, yeah, people are hearing entries that we recorded long before North America or Europe were taking COVID-19 seriously. That's right. We would be referring to uh, to COVID-19 in this episode if we were aware of it, but we weren't. And now we are uh, in this little addenda inserted in the middle of our show. Well, we just wanted to uh, encourage, I, I assume we have a lot of listeners who are like us, social distancing right now, which yes. means they're living kind of a weird, uncertain, quarantined, isolated lifestyle. And if you enjoy Omnibus, we can somewhat assume you were already social distancing before, <laughs> as so, we were. <laughs> so your health is probably pretty good. But thank you for taking the hit and staying home. You're doing the right thing. Yeah, we, we are sequestering, although Ken and I are here with one another. We just recently got off a cruise ship where we were in close proximity the entire time. So Any, Anything I have, you have. And neither of us have any outside. We, ha- we haven't seen anyone else. And we're sitting eight feet apart right now. We're That's do- right. We're doing it right. We're doing okay. The governor of Washington State is not going to come after us. But, uh, you know, we just wanted you to know that, uh, you know, Omnibus is going to continue twice a week. Until the world ends. We do not believe that this is the cataclysm that will eventually come for us. That's the key, right? We, we are making this show in, in preparation for an end-time scenario, but neither of us believe this isn't it. that COVID-19 is really our doom. I mean, I guess the downside is that this is kiddie stuff compared to what's actually going to wipe us out. But we are hopeful that, that we will collectively weather this storm. Uh, and the recession that follows. <laughs> Uh, and, and and actually, kind of, we were just discussing uh, how we feel like this may this may usher in a new era, um, a golden age, a perhaps. golden age of working from home. Everyone's going to realize that they they didn't have to be in a cubicle. Universal basic income. They didn't have to have friends. That's right. This they, is it. They didn't have to go on vacation. We all become pod people starting now. Everything's solved. Anyway, Omnibus will continue twice a week, unabated, completely free. If through some accident of the tech industry, you still have employment and income now and would like to support the Omnibus, you are free to do so at patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. But either way, thank you for listening and being with us. Uh, among the, uh, I think, just hundreds of buildings in this massive Tikal complex, which is just gorgeous, you know, the stuff that's been cleared now has kind of green lawns between the temples with Kawada Mundi's wandering around. What's a Kawada Mundi? I don't even know. Is, is, it, it, a is it a monkey? Is it a weasel? Is it a dog? <laughs> is it a lemur? It's There's a... literally no way to know because sure. my computer uh, died. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, is it uh, extremely humid? 
Yeah, it was not bad. We were there during the dry season. Don't don't go during hurricane season, I think. Like we the, the hotel next to us in Belize was very nice. And then I looked it up online and I found out it was because the old place just got slammed by Hurricane Earl five years ago right. and was just destroyed. And if, so if you see a nice hotel in Belize, something <laughs> awful happened, I guess. But one of the things that I did not realize that Tikal had, it was no fewer than seven different ball courts. Oh, the, I remember this from, from the Yucatan, the, the, the crazy ball game where you, where you are playing with this crazy hard ball and you have to whack it with your elbows do you, or something? Do you remember this from an hour ago when we said the name of the show? <laughs> oh, 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 right. <laughs> and, also, and also from Chi That's what we're doing. Uh, no, I, I, I spent a, lo- a long time trying to figure out how to play this game. No one knows how to play what we now call Mesoamerican ball game, which is... A real, really what we call it's it. It's a real branding issue for them. Isn't there a Mesoamerican name for the, it? The problem is there are many Mesoamerican names for it because oh. Mesoamericans back to the Olmecs, uh, as soon as they could figure out how to get latex out of a rubber tree and make a big bouncy ball, they started hurling it at people's heads. And the Mesoamerican, as I mean, Ol- Olmec literally means rubber people. Like they are named for their, for their rubber balls. And uh, so every civilization before and after had a different name. The Aztecs called the Mesoamerican ball game Ola Malisti. The Mayans called it Pits or Pucklepuck. Hmm. Pucklepuck. Pucklepuck's good, right? That like, sounds like a Pokemon. That's good. <laughs> I think it's a Portland uh, artisanal tie. Uh, so the Aztec, the Aztec name also had rubber as a... Oh yeah, Ola, yeah. It seems like it must. I think that is the Aztec word for rubber ball game, probably. Uh, and the, and you know then the Spaniards just called it, uh, you know... Pelota, whatever. Sure. Pelota loca or something. Why don't we call it rubber ball game? That is a great name. Mesoamerican ball game sounds like something that you, that sounds well, like a subcategory I, on grind. I don't really like the erasure here. Are you, are you erasing the Mesoamericans from their own ball game? No, I think they called it rubber ball game. So uh, why are, it would be why, more respectful. Yeah. Why do we have to put in like French fries? They're just fries. I think it's because we play other games now with a rubber ball. We, is kickball, oh. is kickball rubber ball game? No, um, I have uh, I've, I've I've looked into this a little bit, and just to clarify some of the things you said, uh, the um, the site of Tikal was abandoned by the 10th century, and its name uh, its name translates to at the waterhole. At the waterhole, Tikal means at the waterhole. They did build this next to a cenote. Well, there's no river, right? It may have been a waterhole. They they found or built, or, or the cenote you mentioned. I mean, El Mirador, which is still surrounded nearby, which is still surrounded by jungle, and it's a real kind of Indiana Jones spot. It has a massive reservoir system because they just they had no river. built a massive city without uh, water because the aliens told them to. Interesting. The uh, we don't know that much about MBG, as I call Mesoamerican ball game, right? Which I like to call Mesoamerican um, Vader Ginsburg. Oltec game. <laughs> Olmec. Olmec ball game. Rubber game. Because, uh, well, first of all, well, mostly because of the Spaniards. The Spaniards had a few eyewitness accounts, but did not describe it very well. That's weird. If I know. You, if you watch people playing a sport and you're like, oh, they have a sport, but Although, don't spend any time like figuring it out. I may have mentioned this to you that I was sitting at a Mariners game once watching these two British people try to reverse engineer baseball from what they were seeing. 
and they just could not do it. I love that idea. And and well, it's like me watching cricket. Exactly. That's what I told Completely them. Completely I was like, if I understood, if I watched cricket, and they were like, oh no, you would never. Cricket is ridiculous. You would never understand. <laughs> so maybe the Spaniards were sitting around eating paella, just kind of watching this this brutal game, and they were like, what's? I can't. Are they winning? Why right. are Why are those two? You know, it just sounds. It sounds like the game was mostly just punishment. From so most of what we know, because the uh, eyewitness accounts are so scattered, most of what we know comes from elaborate temple art of the game. Mm. So, uh, so it's like learning baseball from looking at drawings of baseball. Yeah, or like um, you know, let's say you're trying to reverse engineer the NBA, uh, and but all you have are those big paintings by. Um, Leroy Neiman? Leroy Neiman, yeah. Like, all you have is Leroy Neiman showing Jordan dunking or whatever, and you're trying to figure out. Because that's what we have. We have stills. And it's not clear. And the game had a massive ritual significance as well, which is not too different from how we think of sports today, Sure, the actually. NBA does also. Um, they, uh, but here, So here's the basics of what we do know. The ball was made of latex, uh, and it appears to have been somewhere between about 10 and 22 centimeters. But it wasn't... So a softball on the small end and a soccer on soccer ball on the big end. But it wasn't bouncy, like soft, like full of air and bouncy. No, it's solid rubber. Ugh. They would not inflate it. So it would have weighed a ton. And, and we don't know how much the art exaggerates. In some of these uh, carvings, the ball is like three feet in diameter. It's it's huge, but I don't know how you would. It's forced perspective. Play the game. Yeah, exactly. It's a p- tiny ball, very close to the camera. The players would wear what is usually called a yoke, but is not really a yoke in any way. It's kind of a leather and wicker girdle that surrounds their waist that they use to hit the ball with. You play the game with your hips, hmm. and the the court is kind of an I shaped thing with a long alley with um slanted stone walls on each side that I think the ball can maybe bounce off of racquetball style. Yeah. Uh, and then some kind of a wider end zone at each end. With a tiny hole. There's also a hoop, right? This oh. is this is something that was kind of at, we believe this was added later. This is essentially the three-point line or the two-point conversion of Mesoamerican ball game. At some point, a stone ring was added and the, if the ball passed through that, that was some kind of Quidditch-style bonus. Right. Um, but in general, scoring— but not necessary. Right. Scoring seems to have been awarded more in a volleyball style where the ball is bouncing forth, bet- back and forth between people. But um, points are awarded if, if the other team does something wrong. You know, it hits the ball out of bounds, hits the ball to the wrong player, touches it with the wrong part of the body, something like that. Again, this is all supposition because, you know, the Mayans had a bajillion— codices, texts about their civilization that the Spaniards thought were from Satan and they lit them all on fire. Uh, Only one escaped. You know, we have the Mayan creation myth because nobody burned the Popol Vuh, you know, the the only Mayan document we have really. Uh, And there is quite a bit about the ball game in the Popol Vuh. Uh, It's, uh, it had a place in their myth. Their, their, the famous Mayan story of the two hero twins, uh, Wanuapu and, Shbalanke. We don't have a lot of words in English to start with the shb sound, right. but the Mayans did. Um, they uh, the the gods of death become angry because the Mayan ball game is too loud, and this starts a long battle between these two tricky twins and the gods of the underworld, which ends with a big game of Mesoamerican ball game in the afterlife in the underworld, 
where the um, the evil death gods are trying to swap out the ball with uh, some kind of uh, dagger. Huh. Which you'd, oh. think, you'd think you would spot that substitution. It's already a hard game to play. I can't imagine it getting any harder Suddenly unless a, a the dagger? ball becomes a dagger. <laughs> Maybe the dagger's hidden in the latex ball? Imagine if, if the ball became a dagger in basketball, how hard that game oh, would be. Oh my gosh. I, just, I wouldn't even dribble. Sure, like no. I, I'd, I'd pretend I wanted them. I'd be like, I'm open, I'm open, but I'm like... What if somebody threw you the, yeah, threw you the ball dagger? Don't pass me the dagger, please. Well, one of the hard... I mean, one of the reasons it's hard to imagine playing the game is that I've played hacky sack, which surely you have also. Yes. And so a hacky sack does not bounce that much. A hacky sack is also not a solid rubber ball the size of a soccer ball. But you've... Imagine trying to play hacky with something that heavy. You've messed around with, I'm assuming, big rubber balls. Uh, they don't... They're not... I mean, one of the reasons we fill balls with air is that it helps them bounce. A solid rubber ball is not going to bounce very much. But even if you had a kickball and tried to pass it to me using only your hip, and then I had to use my hip to pass it back to you... We would be here all day. The Mayans must have been the greatest athletes in the history of the world if they were really making a go of this. Uh, uh, the one thing the Spaniards said about watching the Mesoamerican ballgame was that they could not believe how brutal it is. And maybe this is them kind of orient. What's the opposite of orientalizing? If you're in the Western Hemisphere, can you orientalize people? Uh, think, like, yeah, let's, let's say because <laughs> they called them Indians because they thought they, thought they were they in were the, the Orient. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they just could not believe the punishment these people would take on the court. I mean, they're, they're they're skidding around on a stone court, so they're breaking bones and getting all bruised and scraped. Plus, they've got this giant ball flying at their heads, which they're just trying to whack with a with a leather girdle. But surely, someone must have initially thrown the ball with their hands or kicked it with their feet. How would you get the ball in play? Maybe, as, I, as I say, I sat on the job. side of this court and was like, "How? How? How?" Maybe you're the. Maybe that's your job as the rightful heir to the Aztec Empire. You, you've got a big gold bejeweled headdress, and right. you you're the referee, and you do the tip off. I throw the ball in, get it in, get it in the game. But this is a game played by the gods, but it also annoys the gods. <laughs> well, the gods don't like it when when uh, it's a it's it's loud. Right, right, right. But but they're very good at it, and because so and because of that crossover with the the gods, um, you know, the ball court was a holy spot. You know, the game was sacred to the Mayans, and it would have ritual purposes. There are uh, in some often the loser was sacrificed for one thing. Whoa! So not a volunteer in this case, just not as good at uh, at hacky. Boy, makes you really. Train a little harder, right? Yeah, imagine if you went to Middlebury College and you're playing <laughs> hacky on the quad and whoever drops it just gets a dagger, a stone dagger to the chest. I would love to see the training montage. <laughs> it's a different person in each shot. <laughs> there is apparently Mayan art, or Azte I think Aztec art, uh, where the ball is a human head. And okay. which causes also us to not wonder bouncy. <laughs> right. <laughs> which causes us to wonder, were they really at some point did a head come out? Is it like, oh, we're in overtime, get out the head? Or is this just um expressing some ritual angle to the game that we don't understand? How long was Mesoamerican rubber ball game played? You, you you're saying Mayan and Aztec uh cultures played it. Like, was this some game that survived for hundreds of years and in all of the 
in, in all of the surviving recorded history, there's no, we can gain no further insight. Thousands of years. Thousands of years. Right. The old, this the, game I mean, the Olmecs were, were before, like over a thousand years before the Christ, before the common era. So for at least 2000 years, we have record of these courts and related art and nobody thought, hey, let's just jot down the rules. It was, it was just passed from generation to generation, like the story of Ichabod Crane, except no one <laughs> I ever... Like, I like how that's always your scripture. <laughs> no one ever wrote it down. Uh, well, or, or if they did, it was burned yeah, the, by the, the, the... The Spanish priests were like, oh no, we're not doing this. Wow, that's, that's crazy that a thing could be so popular and then lost within, presumably within a generation. Well, it makes us think about how we treat our sports today. I mean... I went to the uh, first game of the Seattle Dragons, our new XFL team. Oh, I heard about a this. A couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. which is like, what if football didn't have good players right? and uh, kind of had some weird rules, but at least it was on the offseason, so we can get Fox to show it on TV. Right. Uh, and Was it good? Well, they had to explain the new XFL rules at length. The quarterbacks were not great, so there were some offensive issues. Like, apparently there are... 50 good quarterbacks in the world, and they're all on rosters now. Like, you just can't play football with college castoffs, I guess. And and so the rules are different from NFL rules? Yeah. And so, um, you, you know, some guy would come up on the Jumbotron explaining, hey, now we're in, you know, uh, well, the kickoff works differently in hopes of having longer returns. The players are kind of lined up opposite each other. And when the ball is caught, then, then they, the defenders can move. And there's something else about how the clock is handled in the last two minutes of play so that you don't get kind of the annoying um, constant clock stoppages and and commercial breaks of the NFL. And is there someone that's like someone up there on the screen that's like, he's going for a splorg. Exactly. Like, oh, wow, that's a three-point splorg. It was, was, what's his name? Who's the Seattle guy whose dad was the announcer for a long time on Almost Live? Oh, Niehaus. No, not not that guy. Like the, he's like a TV announcer. He was on Almost Live. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, his son is now a- J.P. Patches. Yes, it was J.P. Patches' (laughs) ghost explaining. But I was just kind of realizing, I understand football pretty well. And this is to me like, you know, somebody explaining Quidditch to me. Just imagine how this is how my wife feels when she watches football on TV. Like I have taken her to games and it's like the field is empty. Yeah. It's like sixth sense where she is not seeing anything that's going on because it makes no sense. Yeah. She can't chunk it into, into like a chess player looking at, if you don't know the rules of chess and you're looking at a board, you can't see the action. Right. It's just a bunch of pieces. It's the sports version of Fnord. So it's easy for us to look back and say, Look at these weirdos just breaking their bones and busting their heads open um, to throw a rubber ball around a court. I think about that even looking back on the eighties. Well, I mean that's exactly that's exactly true. Like we're we have our own blind spots. You know, we live in a culture that's doing the exact same thing. At some point, if somebody looks back at American football and the legacy of injury and concussion and CTE and violent crime and everything. It would kind of be indefensible, right? Violent crime. No, well, you know, I'm of the I'm of the opposite opinion. I feel like the that there um, that there is a place in human society for where where there's room for violent outlet, and I think that the violent out. I think that there should be a sport of violence where the violence is truly concentrated, um, and it's a it's a 
a sport I like to call neighborhood stick fight. <laughs> I feel like every neighborhood should have a stick fight team. With, with adjoining neighborhoods? Like uh, against, sorry, against adjoining neighborhoods? Well, initially, but then, you know, a, a city would have, uh, whatever, 25 neighborhood stick fight teams. Those stick fight teams would meet on the field of battle, which is, um, you know, a street in a neighborhood. But you can kill a guy with a stick, Well, John. that's the thing. And stick fight. <laughs> that's neighbor, important. Neighborhood stick fight would be a game where death was not counted out. You're saying if the neighborhoods are playing like Settlers of Catan, like it does not get out the same That's urges? right. Stick fighting. And then your citywide stick fight champion would go up against Portland's neighborhood stick fight champion all the way up to like the national, like state, first of all, state level stick fighting teams. Does and someone die in every fight? Or? Could, 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 potentially. Okay. I mean, there's going to be... It's not, it's not always to the death. There's going to be a lot of scarring. I mean, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the rules of neighborhood stick fight are, but I do believe that there should be a sport where you could... Where, where the possibility of death is um, looms larger than it does in football or baseball. So even football to you is a little bit is a little bit panty wasted. I, I feel like the I feel like football uh, maybe is too violent because we're pretending that it's not. I mean, the, I think the problem with football is that we pretend it's safe. Yeah. And what uh, what neighborhood stick fight would give us is there would be no pretense. There was no one would pretend that it was safe, and that is important. It's important to the game. Well, the thing about Mesoamerican ballgame is the Mayans would use it as a proxy for war. Like they would, they would literally say, hey, if these two city-states are fighting, instead of like, you know, killing an off an army, we're going to have this ritual game to decide it. I think, that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. No one was pretending that Mesoamerican ballgame was safe. But, you know, the funny thing is we're doing the same thing today with the, uh, with the NFL. You know, we say we, you know, we must defend our city. Right. By sending our squadron of uh, of of kids, you know, kids from from marginalized backgrounds, <laughs> to let them go, like beat get beat up and risk head injury on our behalf, so that we can say we have defeated, you know, the squadron from Houston, Texas. Well, that's or, what I mean. I think this is an innate desire that we have a tribalistic kind of like yeah we haven't got over it. We can make fun of the Mayans and think this is weird, but we're doing the exact same thing. And what? And I think that we. There are two. There are two solutions. Neighborhood stick fight is one, and I think stick fight stick fighters are going to be self selecting, right? We're not going to we're not going to send uh, poor kids to stick fight academy because stick fighting, which is, is what we do today, we just call it the Big Ten or the SEC, right? I think that peop, there are people in your neighborhood who, if who you said, yeah, if you said we're going to have a stick fight to defend Finney Ridge or whatever, there would be. Guys that were like, I'll be in that. So we just look for Trump bumper stickers? Yeah, we'll just look for people that are like, that sounds like something I want to do is get into a big fight with other people. But isn't there another thing we could do? You're very skeptical of the fact that this could be trained out of the race. I don't think it can. I think every attempt that we make to train violence out, it just puts, just the violence reappears in places we don't want it. And so I think it should be, and honestly, I think the real solution is that if countries want to go to war, the two like crusty old people that are that are like leaders of the country should just fight each other in a kind of wrestling situation. Oh, that would be fantastic. Pay per view. Right? 
Yeah, so you, they just have to, you know, it's like a, it's like one of those old claymation or uh, not claymation. It's like a it's like a Frankie goes to Hollywood video, <laughs> right? You just like Reagan and Gorbachev are in wrestling costumes. But imagine if your country lost, like you know, let's say you, your army has a ten to one advantage, but your your you know the president has a trick knee. You, well, so what, that, what, that's how stuff used to work. If, if you can get Richard the Third off his horse, right? His dynasty's over. Baby. I mean, what you'd end up with is is we'd all have strongmen as leaders again because they'd have to they they'd be like literally butting heads with other people. That would be perfect. But you know, it would. You got to get somebody who can get Putin off his off his horse. I could get Putin off his horse. And that concludes Mesoamerican ball game. Entry 778.JB3122. Certificate number 28586 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, our social media accounts are omnibused at, at Omnibus Project. Our handles were omnibused at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Did you say omnibust? Yeah, that's, that's my new thing, omnibust. You're, you're going to get breast implants. <laughs> um, I just took Twitter off my phone and am not going on Twitter because I discovered that it was bad for me. I've known this for a long time, but now I'm committed to not taking this terrible drug that makes me unhappy. It's an election year. You have to imagine a drug which is mildly bad. like It's like, it's like marijuana for three years, yeah. and then every fourth year... The planets align. And, and marijuana and it, becomes and PCP. It's here and marijuana <laughs> becomes PCP. Yuck. That's exactly right. So I am off of Twitter, so forget it. Although I, my Instagram account is still linked to my Twitter account. So if you follow me there, you'll, you'll have one more route to get to my Instagram. Uh, you can email us, though, and Ken and I will eventually read it at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Um, you can participate in our many now online fora. Uh, there's the Omnibus Futurelings group on Facebook. There is a um, there's a Reddit group also the Futurelings, and now a Discord. There's a Discord. A Discord community is uh, popping up. This is why you're not on Twitter. You don't, you don't have time. I don't have time. You're you're uh, yelling at all these other fora. I'm I'm over. Uh, I was over at Discord just trying to figure out how. How it worked, you know, Discord is made for gamers to like live stream, yell at each other about Fortnite, and uh, and yet it's also now becoming a, a sort of message board style universe, and uh, really interesting conversations happening over there in a in a sort of like old school timeline, like a scrolling timeline. Somebody comments, then another person comments, then another person comments. It was it's actually a kind of a cool format. I have never been. This is like... One more thing to download, Ken. This is like explaining Mesoamerican ballgame. One more app to log into. Nothing. None of this makes sense to me. Uh, You can uh, mail us things, and Ken showed up today with several bags full of mail, including this weird bag that has Frosty the Snowman on it. Yeah, I don't know. Paisley bag. All these shopping bags that every time they go to the grocery store and they say, did you bring your own bag? Ken buys three three new bags. Uh, but you can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. This is this is very exciting to me because Jacqueline from New Zealand has been asking for months if you got her Christmas present. Hello, Jacqueline. And it had not 
arrived. Because it was coming from New Zealand? I assume so, on a very slow, <laughs> slow barge. A very slow barge. And uh, it finally, or maybe they went the other way around? Oh, that's possible, yeah. It probably went through Dubai. But uh, your your book of, uh, this lovely book of World War II infographics for you oh, finally arrived. Oh, beautiful. It really is nice. You should take a look at this. Oh, thank you, Jacqueline. What a lovely thing. Look at this. She says she sent it to you even though you already knew everything oh, in it. Oh, that's not true. Which is a, which look is at all the Because I love an infographic, don't you? We all love you, infographics. I know you do. I mean, you love World War II. I love infographics. Wait a minute. Let's call the whole thing off. She, uh, she apologizes to me because she blew her whole budget on a, a Christmas present for you. Next so, year, Ken, Jacqueline is going to give you a cool Christmas that's present. That's what she says, but I'm a little skeptical. I don't know if she really understands the true meaning of the season. <laughs> this book actually smells like a book of insta- in- infographics that came from New Zealand. There's a spray. It, it, it has like a... I know, it's that new... New book smell. New book smell. It's really lovely. Wow, I'll spend a lot of time studying this. Thank you, Jacqueline. We also got a package from You Goat Mail, which is apparently some kind of service that sends people... Uh, plush goats. Oh, little goats. Uh, but you're the only goat here. Except this says one is for Kendrick and one is for John Word. I assume I'm Kendrick and you're John Word. You can keep them as adorable pets. And they really are very nice. I assume this is a Jeopardy themed oh, they're, gift. They're very, they're soft. You know, I, I have been feeling lately like I'm the goat of this experience that you've had of being the goat. I'm the... Like I'm you're the, the, sm- the lowercase goat? Yeah, I'm the old fashioned version of, I'm, I'm like the, uh, the pogo goat <laughs> The uh, the the one that ends up being the guy that caused the baseball game to get rained out or whatever. Oh, I see. You're the you know, sc- you're the scapegoat. I'm the scapegoat. That's right. Uh, confusingly, this uh, the the um, the goats that were sent are signed Barack Obama. Huh. So that was nice of that was nice of President Obama. Do you to, think that, that these in the do mail? you think that o- o- Obama sent us these? I feel like. Maybe it's just somebody named Barack Obama who's probably really had a rough 10 years or so. Like, he, <laughs> probably, he probably gets so many jokes about Poor his Poor other Barack Obama. But thank you for these goat yeah. uh, stickers. I like it. And things. Oh, you didn't show me the stickers. Oh, you, you get a you goat mail sticker. Oh, th- oh, thanks. Think of the free advertising they just got. You goat mail. Normally people would have to pay us to advertise their website. Or you can just <laughs> apparently send us a small beanie baby. And then we'll, then, then we just love it. Instead of the and pretend to be the forty fourth president of the United States. Instead of the fifteen hundred dollars we would have charged for an ad, they <laughs> gave us two five dollar goats. That's how the economy works. Speaking of which, if you would like to help uh, continue the production of this show, can we encourage you to go to our Patreon dot com slash omnibus? Can we? We can. We, we, I think we can. And, uh, and who's going to stop us? Contribute a little bit to the production of the show, and that will enable us to uh, quit scrounging for advertisements and become fully self-supporting through our own contributions. Maybe you can actually um, get a condo in Maui instead of just spooning, spooning pudding into old people. You know, I feel like the thing about a vacation home is that why would you do that? Why we, would you do that to yourself? Yeah, you, it's like homework. Yeah. Well, we have to go back to that same place again every year, or else why did we get this? Why did we get this place? Yeah, no, I, I'm the same way. I like this goat, though. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope all of the codices were not burned that had the rules of our various 
games. Although we're assuming they were. That's why we're doing this show. Exactly. If we thought that all that stuff would survive the apocalypse, why would we care? All these people have found clue boards and have no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. They're trying to do a Kenjur crossword and and they don't even know what a Kenjur is. There's a secret passageway between the the, uh, conservatory and the lounge. If that that helps you play clue. (laughs) Uh, We hope and pray that no catastrophe ends our culture but if the worst comes soon this recording like all our recordings may be our final word but if providence allows we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus